0: Amen. Father, we we do praise your name, and we pray now that as we open your word, or that you would speak to us and allow the truths in which we read become realities in our lives. Lord, we believe that your word is true. Lord, I believe that none of us are here today by chance. You've divinely appointed this time and even me here on this platform. So, Lord, use me to the fullest. Speak to us. This I ask in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, a couple of things that I I want to draw your attention to before we get into the text today. Um, we uh, we have a couple of things com- coming up. I just have two pages straight stuck together there. That was weird. So uh, somebody's been playing with my Bible. So um, a couple of things that are coming up. Um, if you're a, if you're a, a man in the room today, if you'd raise your hand, this means you're a man. You, you know, like yes, I'm a man. Okay, men's fraternity starts this week. Um, so it starts this Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Now, men's fraternity is. I think one of a great place for men to get together and to be able to how it works is from six to six thirty. We have teaching. Um, I'll be teaching most of this semester, and so we'll we'll have teaching and then thirty minute conversations around the table. And at 7 o'clock, we are out and done. Some guys have to leave a little bit before that, and so they do. But I I think it's one of the best places for men to get connected, to get to know one another. And I'll, I'll speak as one of those guys that didn't have many men connected in my life at one time. This is a great place to get connected with some other men. So I would encourage you to come, check it out. If you don't like it, don't come back. That's cool. You can do that. I won't be offended, basically. And so would love for you to come and, and, and check it out. I think it'd be really good. And that's not just men. high schoolers too. High school, um, high school students, you're more than welcome to come and be a part of that. We've always had a couple groups of high school students. So if you can and you think, I mean, I've got this going on, I've got that going on, I got it, right? And that might really stop you from being able to come. Everybody's got stuff. And so maybe you could figure out a way to get yourself there if, if it would all work for your life. I, I promise you. Give it 12 weeks. It'll be beneficial to your life. Other thing I would say is pathway groups are coming. So if you're in a missional community, if you're in an ABF, um, if you're in a a women's Bible study, men's Bible study, all the different groups, you're going to be touching on that pathway stuff. But if you're not, it's going to be on the platform. So starting September 17th, there's a train leaving the station called Pathway. It's happening everywhere. And if you don't have a place to do that, there's pathway groups that are happening. I'd love for you to go online, sign up for one of those, get engaged in one because I I really believe it's going to help you learn more and more what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to understand the deeper truths of what he's asked of us, under, deeper truths of his word, and also how to live that out. So there's pathway groups, there's Sunday morning, and then some are happening during the week. So I'd love for you to sign up to be a part of one of those. and go online, call the office for that. I don't do public service announcements much, um, but this one I have, and really encourage you to get. These two things I think would be really good for, for anyone um, that guys just kind of spur in your heart toward that today. So, let's get to Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Um, that's where we'll be in this morning. We have the next two weeks, we're doing a series called Family Matters, um, because family matters, right? Um, we aren't going to be showing you clips of Steve Urkel. You may have thought that, you might have been really excited about that. That's not happening. Some of you are like, who's Steve Urkel? And so, um, but it was a thing. It was Fridays way back. So, uh, Together. Family matters. So families are complicated. I don't know if they're complicated for you, but, but families are complicated. And so oftentimes when we hear family, we think, like, my, maybe, maybe just think about your family, your home right now. Well, for anyone in the room, you may hear the title and be like, oh, they're going to talk about husbands and wives and kids. Maybe you're single or wherever you're at and you think, it doesn't apply to me. I think it does because family matters. It's, all right, in this room, right, underneath the blood of Jesus, we are family, and it the Bible has a lot to say on how we ought to interact with each other, and a lot of the principles are true, whether it's our spiritual family, whether it's our family of origin, whether it's our family like that we live with, our, our husband, wife, kids, it's, it's our mom and dad, it's, it's my in-laws, uh, right? Like the hard ones, like it's all of these things that make up our family, and it's complex, because I have things like not only... Like, my family of origin, so I've got my mom and dad and brothers who my brothers are, and Debbie can amen this, are ridiculous, right? They're, like, and it's like, you're getting older. You're a doctor. Like, you are a professor. My brother's a professor at the University of Houston. It's like, how can you be such an infant sometimes, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. And, but not only do I have that, then I've got my mom and dad's, like, extended family, which is this whole other side of, like, weirdness, Right? and I'm probably the weird one, but you have that. And then not only do I have that, I decided to get married, right? And then I took someone else's entire oddity and made it my own. I remember when we were doing premarital counseling, we had this lesson, and it was called in-laws or outlaws. It's your choice. And I was like, I want in-laws, but I think it's gonna be outlaws. I don't know. Just I've my toe in that water. It seems a little weird. And so anyway, I love your family, Deb. And so so, family is complex, and family issues are complex because they're so vast, and they're so different, and they're just this constant thing in our lives. And so, family matters, that's what we're talking about today, and so we're, we're going to be talking about the day-to-day of family life, relationships, and regardless to, to kind of all of these things. Now, the hardest, I read this this week, quote, it says, the hardest part of love is wanting to, is wanting to love, and then having enough energy to do it. I love that quote. That the challenge of love is actually wanting to love, because sometimes people in my family make it really hard to want to love them. Are you, anybody there? Like a name came to your mind, right? Bill. He is hard to love. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, it is Bill. And so, uh, so you know those names. And it's hard to love, but then. But then sometimes life is really hard and it's really exhausting. And even then having enough energy to give someone love is even challenging in and of itself. And so family matters to God and we we know it matters to God. Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema, this is kind of this... I mean, one of the most quoted through, through the Hebrew world and even to this day, uh, the Shema is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Teach it to your kids, where you lie down, where you play, where you go, all the places in your life. Put it everywhere so that you won't forget that God is the centrality of your life and the central part of your family. And it has this kind of generational idea of, of, of the family of God and the ways of God moving outward from the family. We also know that family matters to God and it matters to us in this way in Ephesians 6, it says, honor your mother and father. And it says, and it will go well with you. Meaning that there's a blessing on it. It means that if you listen, if you go about life and you, here's, here's I'll help you out here for a second, parents. Listen to your mom and dad. And it says, you will live a long life. That's what that Ephesians passage says. So, if you don't honor your mom and dad, you're going to die early. That's what it says. I'm just saying. So do it. Like, it's life and death. Okay. And so, um, but but it does mean, like, 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 there will be less problems in my life. I, I will be able to move forward better. And so there's a there's a promise in this honoring of mom and dad. And um, by the way, your parents really like you. It's just you're sometimes hard to like. And so... Um, and so in this, that there's family matters to God, it matters to us. In Christian families, specifically, there's this core of commitment. And the, the core of the commitment of a, of, of a Christian family is that, that Jesus might be the Lord and the leader of our families, that he might be the highest, the one we hold in highest regard. But what's challenging for that is, We often talk about a commitment individually, about a commitment to Jesus being the Lord and commitment individually for Jesus to be the leader of your life. But the question as we talk about family matters, what does it really look like for Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of us together as a family? And so in this, with with Jesus being our Lord and leader, we have direction, we have purpose, and we have a way to go. So let's look at Colossians 3. Um, and we're going to specifically look at 12 through 14 this morning. So let me kind of catch us up to speed where Colossians is at this point. So what Colossians says is, if then you have been raised with Christ, this is 3.1, there's going to be two words that kind of pop out of this. It's going to say, seek the things that are above. And so what Paul is going to say is that, that we should seek things that are above. We should set our minds on the things that are above. And so there's two words that are really key at the beginning of this to understand 12 through 14. The two key words are seek, right? Seek Jesus, set our minds on Jesus, right? That these are kind of the two two core truths to help us understand where we're going. So he puts into place seek and set. And so what that means is to, to seek him, to set my focus upon him, to set my gaze upon him, that, that I desire, I, I'm, I'm seeking toward him. And so then it, the text transitions in verse 5, and it goes into this, this section of to put to death, to put off certain things in our life says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it's going to go through a long list of sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, lust, um, anger, obscene talk, malice, slander, all these things. He's saying, get rid of these things. And then the text in 12 is going to transition to a clothing or putting on. And so how this works, and this is a Christian life. You've never heard this. This is how the Christian life works. Christian life isn't about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Christian life is all about a new affection. There's this place that I come to in my life where I recognize that I have sinned against God. And, and, and because I have sinned against God, I deserve judgment and wrath. I deserve death and judgment. And that grips me to a place where I say, oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Help me, help me now to live with you as the Lord and leader of my life. But something really important happens, and... Now in the Christian life, what does it mean for me to get rid of sin and begin to live in a righteous and holy way? Now, I'm going to guess, for the most part, most of us in this room say, I want to live a righteous and holy life. And I would guess, too, that many of us have kind of been taught this thing that really you just try to do the best you can with life, and at the end of the day, you hope it all works out. And we kind of live down that bent of just hoping it all works out. Well, the Bible's a little bit more explicit in how this happens. And in this text, what it says is there's a way to actually put to death the things that grip you so tightly. And it's by seeking the things that are above and setting our eyes on Jesus. When we seek him, And set our eyes on him. Our desire grows for him. And I no longer desire to do the things that dishonored him. It almost brings me pain to think that I would walk down a road again. That I would dishonor my king and dishonor my Lord. Because he's done so much for me. So I'm going to seek him. I'm going to set my mind on him. And then in my life, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That verse is a great definition of who Jesus is. He is the compassionate one. He is the kind one. He is the humble one. He is the meek one. He is the patient one. And how do I know that? Because he's been that to me. And as I seek him, and as I set my my gaze upon him, not focusing on things of the earth, but focusing on him, what happens is... As I begin to long for the things of him and I begin to look like him and I begin to bear fruit in my life and that fruit looks like love and joy and peace and patience in the everyday places and spaces of my life. And so in this kind of beginning of this text, what we see is that, that as we set our eyes on Jesus, as we seek him, we begin to look like him and be transformed into his image and then the text kind of moves into this application. So this is true. Seek, set, put to death, clothe yourselves, put on. Then the text transitions. And, and so 12, it says this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then 13, is really this applicable way in which we live in relationships. And I think it's specifically an application in regards to family. It says, bearing with, verse, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So in this text, the first thing that we see is, <clears throat> at the beginning it says, bearing with one another. <coughs> bearing with one another, meaning to live in understanding. And so if you're following with the notes, live in understanding. So what does it mean in, in, in regards to our family and in regards to um, living in relationships, to, to, to live in understanding, to bear with one another? Now, this phrase, bear with one another, is kind of an interesting. It has the idea in other sections of bearing a burden. And so it would be taking on or taking away a weight from someone else's life and then putting it on your own. But it also kind of has this idea of it's not something that necessarily needs forgiveness, but it's something that is a quirk or a nuance about someone that you learn to bear with one another, and you learn to live in a way that is healthy, and you don't nitpick over every last thing. That would be kind of a way to understand what this this word, bear with one another, looks like. In some ways, like some commentators say, putting up with each other would be another way of saying it. And um, say amen if the person sitting next to you, you need to put up with sometimes, and all the women said, and so, right, and so, so, so we do, we, we have this thing where we put up with each other, so how does that actually work? Well, I think in one way, we know each other more deeply, we, we know each other more deeply, I can't live in understanding if I don't know the people that surround me in my life and my family and so I can't bear that which I don't know. And so we begin to open up and have honest conversations of where we really are. So again, this is like premarital counseling 101. Premarital counseling 101 looks like this. Conversations like this. This is level one, emotional intimacy. How's the weather? That's good. Did you have a good day? I had a great day. Right? That's, that's number one. No consequence, no depth. It's just simple... Thoughts, feelings about the day. Going deeper emotionally and, and honesty. So, again, premarital counseling 101 goes like this. How was your day? It was, it was really hard. Why was it really hard? I just feel like my boss can't stand me, and it just really bugs me. Well, what, what bugs me most about it today? I just feel super devalued. I feel like, I don't know, I just, I, I just feel like there's a cloud over me every time I walk in. And honestly, I just, I, I just want to break down and cry every time I come home. But I'm a man, and I'm not supposed to. No, nobody's ever felt like that. But man, now we've got something going here because we can know each other more deeply. And we can live in understanding because we know that when he says he's really tired, you're like, oh yeah, that would be really tiring to live day in and day out like that. Knowing each other more deeply, emotionally, opening up and beginning to express where we really are. But not only knowing each other more deeply, it's beginning to take care of each other as servants, taking the low road our Savior took of humbling himself and not seeing the people in my family as people who are meant to serve me, but seeing myself as someone who is meant to serve them, and truly taking opportunity as needed to become servants. And so for us to live in understanding we know each other more deeply, take care of each other as servants. And maybe one really key thing, we stop competing with one another. So competition in family works like this. I am really tired. And then what happens is this, it's a super cool thing we all do in, in our world. It's called one-upping, right? And we do this. You're tired? <laughs> you don't even know what's tired. I haven't slept for 10 weeks. I'm basically a walking zombie. Beat that, right? It's just or... or uh, you know how's work? Oh, it's it's been it's it's been kind of tough. I've been really busy. Pfft, busy? You don't even know busy. I'm so busy, and we do this whole thing like, and we just one up. And what it, what it isn't one upping is competing. And what happens when we compete with one another in families is we tend to not open up, and we can't live in understanding with one another. We can't bear with one another because your problems aren't really that bad, and I'm casting them aside the because it doesn't really matter. And so, I don't know, I'm going to be crazy here today, just a minute of craziness for me. Is it possible for two people to be tired in a family? I mean, is that, is that like, is that possible? Is it, too, is it possible for two people to just have had really hard weeks? I mean, I think, I'm crazy, I know this is crazy, but it's, it's possible. Because like, for me, I, I know that I require a certain amount of sleep in my wife requires a certain amount of sleep, and those are different. And so tiredness is relative to the beholder, to the circumstances in life. And so when we compete with one another, what we do is we, we push the other one aside, and in, in many ways we belittle, and so we can't live in understanding because we've said, I don't want to understand you. Another thing, kind of under uh, living in understanding with one another, bearing with one another, is we... We just simply need to learn to put up with some things, not begrudgingly, but sometimes like, and some of the older couples are like, man, I've been putting up with this for years, right? I've been bearing with him for centuries. Like, I mean, this has been going on for a long time, but it's not begrudgingly, but learning sometimes that it's just who people are. And some things just are going to be a little bit different than you like or you would want them to be. And so we don't live perpetually trying to change someone, but we just begin to embrace and live in understanding of who they are. And so I think living in understanding can be unpacked maybe just to think about it in two big ways. Um, One way I think we really grow in understanding people, maybe you've done this in your life, where you've grown a judgment about someone and maybe even a bit of bitterness toward them. And it grows and grows and grows. And all of a sudden, somebody tells you a story about that person, about a hardship or a past or something that's happened, and you go, oh, that judgment was wrong. Like, I didn't realize this or that had happened to them. And living an understanding of someone, in some ways, knowing people's stories and knowing that they've had hardship and harm and learning to just live an understanding of where they are and understanding of the things they need. Now, that's not to be callous or to wipe things away. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's to be an understanding of knowing where people are. I know for people in my own family that over the years, we've heard of stories of sexual abuse. You learn that, oh, mom and dad were alcoholics, and you begin to say, oh, wow, like, they live this out in certain ways. It's really hard, and so I'm going to live an understanding with them, and I'm going to give them a little more grace than I normally would give give someone kind of in my own flesh and setting because of the hardship they've gone through. Another way that this works out, it's it's going the extra mile beyond the normal and taking on and taking away. And so for as a pastor, one of the great things that I get to do is tons of you have let me into your family. And so I get to be a part of a lot of families as a pastor. And I get to be there in really exciting times and really bad times. And in the exciting and bad, there's always, always, almost always, an opportunity for me to alleviate a burden. And sometimes that looks like taking notes on my phone of the doctor the night of the life flight and saying, I know that she can't bear this right now, and so I'm just going to do that, and I'm going to have to be here a little bit longer, but I know that's something I can do to alleviate a little bit of the pain and pressure. It looks like being there for you when life is hard or it's at the wedding when everybody's going crazy at this most exciting day ever, but everybody's freaking out, and I can just step in and be like, here, I can help you with this. But it looks like that in our everyday day-to-day life, a family of saying, what's a way that I can step in and care for my wife, my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, my my husband in a way to live in an understanding and come underneath them. So kind of the big of this live in understanding, bearing with one another is to become become servants and begin to care for one another and begin to understand each other in a In true ways, so humbling ourselves and seeing those around us, not as objects to love us, but rather those who we are meant to serve and care for. Now, I believe Jesus modeled this well, and this is something that he lives in understanding of us, and then now we reciprocate this outward toward others. Second thing that we see is it says if one has complaint against another, this one's great. Like, I don't know if you uh, have any complaints uh, around people in your life, family, anybody? Like... You want to share today? Like, we could open up the mic. Oh, yeah. We'll do, we'll do the airing of grievances today. It's a great thing. Change Thanksgiving from, um, you know, being thankful around the table to say, let's call this the airing of grievances. Anybody that has odds, that will make the worst Thanksgiving ever. And so, so it's just, we, we have complaints, but what's the issue with our complaints? We don't say them. We keep them in. And so, so what this text is saying, if anyone has complained against another, we're going to get to the forgiving each other here in a second. But it means that we, we need to create openness in our families and in our lives where we're actually honest. Therefore, we can actually move into the areas we need to for grace and forgiveness. And so creating openness looks like, like, like maybe living, living in the open, rather living in hiding, because living in hiding destroys relationships. We know this to be true. We, we know that living in hiding destroys relationships. But I also know this. I know this from a theoretical stance and a real, I had three older brothers again. Throwing stones leaves bruises, right? Throwing stones leaves bruises. I did have a few rocks thrown at me as a child, but literally thrown at me. But in this, like figuratively, throwing stones leaves bruises. When we are pushed at and told what we're not and constantly kind of attacked with our lives, what happens is we develop bruises, and those bruises make calluses, and those calluses cause us to clam up, and we don't talk, and we don't bring things out into the open. So so what does it look like? How does it look to create openness? Well, open communication with good, good intentions brings life, and so communication with good intentions brings life. Now, Open communication, this is how it worked for us. So when Deb and I had Kinsley, we were first-time parents, and there was this lady um, and her husband. It was Mama Jane and Mike. Mama Jane had had 72 foster children, and she was in charge. Like, she was, she was boss. And she gave us these two pieces of advice. She says, when that baby's born, you look at that baby, and you tell her, you tell her I'm not scared of you, and you are not in charge. And she said, "You keep telling that baby that until they turn eighteen, and you 'll raise good kids, but the second you start being scared of that kid, and the second that they become in charge it 's over. So I held that little baby, and I was crying i said i 'm not scared of you <laughs> right you 're not in charge, and i 've been saying it ever since right girls okay and so 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 this this openness right of that 's kind of funny, but this openness in our families but but what happens in in, in our families is is we we get these pressures upon us in life and in family. And the the more pressure on us, the harder love becomes. We feel the pressures of work. We feel the pressures of life. We feel the pressures of family. We feel the pressures of not being what we want to be. And, And these pressures can almost be paralyzing at times in our lives. So the more pressure, the harder it becomes to love. And so what we do when pressure comes on us is there's basically two types of people, and this isn't universal, but probably for the most part true. There's those that shove it down, and there's, there are those that shout it out. And so I'm just going to resonate. I'll, I'll talk about the shout it outs here in a minute. I'm just going to resonate where I am. I'm a shove it down kind of guy. So what happens is something comes at me, and I'm just like, bam, it hurts. It hits a little bit. I'm going to push it down. We're not going to talk about it. And then it happens the next couple of days go by. It hits me again. I'm going to push it down. And just do it enough over time. And what happens? Boom, right? Like, Ryan Johnston explodes. So. You know, many of you walked with me through this and were incredible with me through it, but I, I remember that even not even in bad things. I remember with my brothers going through this year of treatment of cancer and I was just being strong. I was going there, being with him, and I remember going to the hospital and coming home and I, I wasn't crying a lot, I wasn't grieving a lot, I was just I was being strong. I was that's what my role is. I'm a brother, everybody else is hurting, I'm gonna be strong for my mom and dad, I'm gonna be strong for my sister in law, I'm gonna be strong for my brother's kids, I'm gonna be strong. So what happened is about We'd, we'd got the news, he had three to six weeks left to live. I'd come home, and it was super weird for two days, and the things were just kind of getting pushed down, pushed down. And all of a sudden, like, I blew up. And what blowing up was like for me in grief was, like, I just looked like a fool, I'm pretty sure crying. And, but what had happened right up to that? I was just being weird at home with my girls. I was being home with my wife. I was, I just wasn't being who God wanted me to be because I'd been stuffing my grief deep down inside of me. It wasn't healthy because I blew up. Now, some of you are like, dang, you're a terrible person. I think most of you know it because you've been there and you've stuffed stuff down. And anybody a stuffer in the room? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got stuffers in the room. Now, some of you. Right? Are shouters, right? Shout out. Now, I didn't grow up around shouters, and so I remember Deb and I got in this argument, like, when we were dating, I just broke up with her. I was like, adults don't do this. This freaks me out. We're done, right? (laughs) I'm moving on, lady. And so, She's like, actually, people do this, right? And I'm like, really? This is so much. So I learned how to actually communicate, and, and, sh- and not that we were shouting at each other, but it was like, it was weird. My parents didn't do that. They just shoved it down and never talked about it. And so um, so kind of learning that in my life has been interesting. So I'll say this to you, shout it out, people, because I just don't get you as much. You really freak us out, like big time. <laughs> like, and so we, we learn, we're trying to figure you out, but... You just scare me sometimes. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that. And so conflict is normal for you, it's not for me. I don't like it. It bugs me. So anybody else and, and all the people who are shove it downers just said, Yes, Ryan, we deeply agree with you. Those people freak us out. So so we, we, we do these two things and hear me, neither of them are healthy. They're they're both very unhealthy. And most of us have a bet one way or the other. But I think there's a better way of going about life. And by the grace of God I think he's growing me in this and I hope he does in you too. And He's growing me in this in in many ways, but one is just being actually available and open to talk it out. To talk things out in closer proximity to the issues and learning to actually express myself. Creating openness, If if one has a complaint against another, in order to forgive, it actually has to be out there somewhere. We have to know what's happening, and we have to know each other. And if we don't, we can't apply or obey this text, So you can know the 14 different things about about parenting and families and all that. If you don't do it, you don't know it, right? And so in this, what we're seeing, what we see is to create openness, we have to begin to talk this out and begin to move forward in my life of humbling ourselves and being able to genuinely say these kind of words. I am sorry. And the words being reciprocated back, I forgive you. And so what that looks like practically in the home is this humility of recognizing that when I hurt someone, and either I know it or they reveal it to me, I can quickly say the words, I'm sorry. And the words quickly that can be given back to me is, I forgive you. I believe in an atmosphere and in a culture that we can create in our families that give grace and offer forgiveness are very, very healthy environments. Well, Ryan, how do you know that? Well, I know this for me. When I was 21 years old, I repented. I said, Lord, I am so sorry for what I've done against you. I have rebelled against you. I have ran my own course. I have not made you the Lord and leader of my life. I have done what I've wanted to do. Jesus, forgive me. I said, please, will you come in me? Will you teach me how to live this thing out? And what was really weird is, see, I didn't feel any connection with the Lord before then. But the floodgates opened wide in our relationship, and they have ever since, because repentance, I'm sorry. And forgiveness, right? I forgive you. And how do I know God forgave me? Well, He sent His Son to die on the cross for me so that I might be forgiven of my sins. He screamed 2,000 plus years ago, I love Ryan Johnston. So I know He loves me, and I know that out of the Word of God, and I also know out of my personal experiences, the walls between me and God went down. If, if you could just hear this, is my pastoral moment with you, the number one thing that causes families to be separate is pride, our inability to say I'm sorry. And so, and I'll say that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on everybody here for a second. It happens with moms and dads who are so committed to always being right are so committed to not looking backwards at faults that we are unwilling to say, hey, when you were 17 years old, I wasn't home the whole time, and I know that's when you, when you went crazy, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. This might be your 30-year-old daughter. I promise you, you do not know what God can do when you say, I'm sorry. And then backwards saying, oh, I forgive you. One of the most powerful things that can happen is when we look in the face of our relationships and we say, I am so sorry for what I've done. And I'll tell you this that, that there is miraculous work that God can do in our families and the brokenness with simple words like, I am sorry, genuine contrition. But it's the same, and this is where I'll pick on everyone it's the 18 to 21 years old, even me to my parents saying, I am so sorry for 18 to 21. I know you were broken. I know that, that I hurt you. I know that you were scared for me. I know you didn't know what to do and I ruined three years of your life. I am so sorry, mom and dad. It's going to your mom and dad and saying at 13, 10, whatever it is, like I know I've been living this way and I know that's made hardship on you and I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I don't want to live like that. Repentance and forgiveness is—it is the grease that makes the wheels turn. It is the way in which relationships exist. And if we have—if if we have areas where we haven't touched or stepped into, it causes rifts and separation in relationships. And this is just—this is like a law of relationships. It's just true. And the way we move into them is humbling ourselves and asking for forgiveness, stepping in to humbling ourselves. And the last thing that we see in the text, which is probably the climax, the most important, we're gonna finish here. It's extend what you've received. Extend what you have received. Now remember where we started. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Seek Christ. Set your mind on heavenly things. And as we do this, what will happen? It says, it says, so, so we for, as a, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord, right, the holiness of God, God enthroned the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternally existent one, the one who spoke everything into being, the one who sent his only son to be crucified and die and raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, the exalted one, God, the Holy Father, and the way that he has extended us love and grace as the Lord has forgiven you, right? That in Jesus, my sin is gone. It can be eradicated. It was not something that I did in and of myself. It was actually something I was incapable of and he did on my behalf. So as the Lord has forgiven me, what should I do in return? I forgive and I extend forgiveness and I extend grace and I extend kindness. Why? because I've had it extended to me. No deeper principle, nothing more profound, but I extend what I have received. And oftentimes the reason I will not extend grace and forgiveness is because I've stopped seeking and setting and I've forgotten the one who has extended grace abundantly to me. So this often is challenging in families because we tend to forget. We tend to forget the things we love, and become complacent in familiarity. We tend to become complacent in familiarity. Why is it hard in families? They've kind of always been there. Kind of always had this. Same thing with church. If we go to church long enough, we become familiar with the things of God and we begin to disregard maybe even the most basic things. You know, in families it works like this, the most basic things of just saying things like, thank you. Like, I'm sorry. Of, please, of these little things that actually make a family work really, really well together. I'm really grateful that you did this for the kids today. I'm really grateful that you've worked really hard for us. I'm really grateful for this, that, and the other. It's basic, but we come, become complacent in it because it's familiar. But what I believe over all things, is, and I believe what this text teaches us, is Jesus makes a difference. The question is, does he make a difference in your home? Does he make a difference in how you deal with family? With Jesus being the Lord and leader of your life, does he cause you to live in a way that is not natural, it's not the way in which everybody else has lived, but a supernatural way, that I have a grace that I can extend that's far beyond me, I have a love that I can give that's far beyond me, I have a kindness I can give that's far beyond me because I am no longer the well of my life, but Jesus is. And the well of Jesus is never ending it. It never runs dry. It never runs out. But the well of Ryan Johnston is a very, very shallow well. But Ryan Johnston with Jesus, it is endless. And it binds and it brings us together. Jesus makes a difference. But I think the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, does Jesus make a difference for us? And if not, what do we do? Joshua said it like this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think in practical application, we can write that on our doors, We we can put it really cool in our living rooms, we can do all kinds of things with that verse to say that we serve the Lord, but I believe this text really is a diagnostic is of do we actually do that? And if we don't have environments where we live in understanding, we create openness, extend what we've received, we aren't really living in this place where Jesus is our Lord and leader. So what do we do? I believe this morning simply we commit. We commit to saying, I need help. Now, I'm going to like be at the altars with you if anybody comes down here because we don't have this all figured out. I still stuff stuff sometimes. I don't talk openly. Life gets so busy that I forget things. But what can we do? We can be moving toward bringing bringing all of our life under the authority of Jesus. And what that means is that I'm moving forward. Maybe today God has specifically said something to you about a person, something that you need to do in obedience. And I would just encourage you today to don't wait till tomorrow. Don't contemplate on it, but act upon it. And, and trust God that through obedience, he is going to move and work in your heart and life. And as you see him work and move in your life, you're going to grow in faith, you're going to apply his principles, and you're going to live this out more and more and more in our lives. And what will happen is that I believe this world will watch our families, will watch how we engage, our families will watch us engage within them, extended and far out. And they will say, wow, there's something else going on inside of that man or that woman that isn't who they are." And hopefully, they see a little bit of Jesus in us because only with him is living like this possible. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for your grace and your mercy, your kindness and your care. Lord, we pray that today that you would help us to embrace the fullness of what you have for us. Help us to move out of our selfishness, our own desires, and help us to move increasingly into places where you are our desire, you are what we long for, especially in regards to our family, whether it's our our Christian family, whether it's our immediate family, whether it's our extended family, our in-laws and all people. Lord, help us to show you. So Jesus, help us to seek you and to set our eyes on you. Help us to put to death that, which dishonors you. Lord, would you clothe us with your compassion and kindness and mercy? Would you help us to grow in in understanding and bearing with one another? Help us to grow in openness of being able to share freely our struggles and our trials. Help us to move into a place that out of the forgiveness that you have given us, we freely give it to others. Lord, in all things, help us to put on love, your love, your love, fullness of what you have done for us, clothe us with it, that we might shine brightly for you with everyone in in every place you might send us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. As we stand and sing, maybe this morning, God laid someone on your heart. Maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's your own family right here today. Maybe it's for you as a family you want to come and kneel and commit saying as for us we're going to serve the Lord. You want to rededicate or commit. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ for the first time. These altars are open for you to respond. Might we sing and respond as God leads.